Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of this is Revolution Podcast. If you're new to the channel, please hit like, subscribe. Also, don't forget to hit that notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live. As we're constantly adding new shows, we're doing live streams with other channels, so you have to be alerted. I hate when we do a show and someone goes, oh, I didn't know. Hit the bell. Allegedly, the bell is supposed to alert you. If you're listening on an audio-only format, make sure you hit whatever subscribe button you have to hit so you get all these episodes when they're hot and fresh. Also, before we start, I want to remind people that my work is finally being published. My essay, I Was a Teenage Iron Chris, will be available next month in print from Everyday Analysis. Talks have intensified about a live show. We actually have a date. I messed up. Didn't have the flyer ready to give to Tucson to put on air. But it will, we'll start sharing it around. November 18th is the date. Be reading a little bit from the book. Going to have a panel discussion with a bunch of heavy metal and punk rock legends. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And it's all going to be in a semi-secret location November 18th in the San Francisco Bay Area I'm so excited for that I promise we'll share the flyer the next time we're on air Tuesday <laughs> someone says Tucson you put that on the screen too someone says wow Jason's showing off one of his purple labels <laughs> I was trying to be more adult and I bought all these used shirts that happen to be polo shirts and in the champagne I will tell you champagne room I will tell you the story of why I'm traumatized by polo shirts this is helping me overcome my polo trauma it's a funny story you guys enjoy it uh, that being said let me bring in the faceless voice of reason who put this show together Please welcome M. Tucson. Hello, hello. Good to be on air with you again. Good to have the soundboard back. Everything. Were you, you've you been on air with me since we've been back in this new setup, have you? I have, for sure. But it's, it's been a while. It's very obvious that there's no soundboard sometimes. Right? When you're when you're not with me, you you feel my absence. Just admit it. Just I admit do. It. Right? You people, you people miss it a little bit, don't you? <laughs> as much as you guys complain, you miss it just this much. Um I'm happy to be back. Uh I don't know how long I'll be back as my life is a bit of a I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's there's a lot going on that's keeping me off air. But coming up, we have two big holidays that you wanted to discuss. What made you, let me ask you the question. I'll put you on Front Street in Tucson. What made you say, hey, we have to do some shows at TIR. Jason says in Tucson, book the shows. And what made you say, let's do a whole show on Columbus? It's because I'm a child. <laughs> 28. You're 28. At 28, I'm a child. I'm very in touch with my childhood and school. 
when we used to have holidays and do things for holidays. We had different themes. Mm -hmm. So when I was setting up the calendar, I was like, hey, maybe we should do a Columbus show. And I was like, hey, there's that John Grant Graham guy. He's pretty great on this stuff. Let's uh let's let's rope him into our shenanigans and uh see what we can do. John Graham should also be known as the man that made us take the chat off the screen for the main show. Is that right? John Graham was on the show. I want to say it was his first appearance on the show. Mm-hmm. And he had actually wrote some interesting stuff on the 1776 project. And we were talking about the 1619 project and the 1776 project. And I don't even think we'd even mentioned 1619. And that's when we first got hit with our first troll. Mm. And just to let you guys know how much this show has grown, you know, you get Facebook memories. And Facebook reminded me that only two years ago, we had just hit 100,000 downloads for the audio only podcast. We are about 22,000 away from a million downloads. That's amazing. Right? That's that's crazy. So thank you guys for listening to the show. The little show that could. Quick super chat. Prairie Fire um, <laughs> Kowalski says uh, the Colombian exchange got us potatoes. Worth it. Okay. <laughs> Dead Whiskey says Prager, you told me Columbus was a pretty chill guy. Trigger oh, U has their whole thing on uh on Columbus being. What on. state is that? Is it Florida? That's like we're going to allow Prager U to be used in in academia. Unreal. Can you imagine the kid that? First of all, when a kid says they go have homeschooling, I always look at him with a side eye. Yes. Right, and I, I shouldn't. That's really crappy of me, mm-hmm. but I'm a dick. So. <laughs> I'm going to do that. It's not like the public school system of Richmond, California did that much for me, but still, still. it's like if I had that level of control over my child, oh, the things they would learn and the things they wouldn't learn. Exactly. Right. Like my kid probably couldn't find uh, Russia on a map, but they would know John Elway is the greatest quarterback of all time. They couldn't figure out what was the water on a map and what was land. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't matter. But they know all the words to hit them up. There you go. (laughs) Priorities. (laughs) That's that's my school. I don't I don't know if I can get a charter for that, but (laughs) that would be my version of Prager. Like I know. If I like imagine if Phoenix, my lovely son, who I'm gonna be able to see tomorrow, nice. my lovely son, had to deal with a class full of me, you, Jean Bajlan, Pascal Robert, and, and Deep State Koopa. Oh boy. Oh my god, that poor kid. That poor kid. Like it's bad enough he has to deal with me after he comes back from school. Mm-hmm. And he's five. Yeah. So whatever he's learning about Columbus Day now, when I see him, if I don't hear the right narrative, I'm just going to go off on him. 
Son, I don't know where you got that narrative from. Dad, what's a narrative? <laughs> don't you come at me. <laughs> you little son of a gun. This coming Monday, uh, the day this episode will hit all of our audio-only formats, marks two big holidays in the U.S. and Canada, Columbus Day in the United States and Thanksgiving in Canada. I did not know they strategically had them on the same day. Did you know that? Uh, not until this year. Um, I, thank you. I learned that from you, Tucson. Because I had, we had to do research for the show. Right. Um, Many of us uh, from my generation were taught an origin story of the holiday that consisted of brilliant men sailing across seas to discover a new land, then on that land encountering peaceful natives. And in this new world, they shared a meal to celebrate the end of their harvest. Excuse me. That story, of course, wasn't the truth and enabled young people to have a false sense of national identity as this narrative obfuscates the terror inflicted on native people and also allows one to believe that a land was discovered with people already living there with advancements in ethnic studies and more acceptance of acknowledging the atrocities of settler colonialism by having days of remembrance and land acknowledgments is this enough to redress the harm is it enough to change the name to indigenous people's day what more can be done well we have Native American scholar, historian extraordinaire, our good friend, the John Graham. Notice I'm wearing the People's T-shirt. Like some selling. <laughs> How are you, John? I'm doing well. Um, and you are, are you from Texas? Originally from Texas. Yep. Lived in Missouri about eight years now, but I come from the, the great state of Texas. And you're a Cowboys fan. I'm, I'm morally obligated, uh, by the sentence of my ancestors to cheer for the Cowboys. <laughs> um, it's a sort of fatalism I've adopted here as a history educator at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, thank you once again for joining us. And I did have to bring up the fact that you are literally the reason why we had to take Chad off the screen. It's true. That was uh, that was a fascinating uh, entry into the world. This is revolution. Yeah. <laughs> Appropriate, it turns out, but still interesting. Do you want to read that super chat, Tucson? Sure. Another one from Prairie Fire Kowalski. New world horticulture was more advanced tech. To be honest. Ooh, we're going there already. Now, John, I have one, <coughs> excuse me, quick question for you. First question. Uh, how has the narrative of Thanksgiving in Columbus, the discovery of the new world, changed in just like the primary levels of education? Because I know you wrote a book uh, that we talked about was it last year or earlier this year about education native studies. Yeah, yeah. Um... That's a really good question. I here I would say that we are still at the point at the K through 12 level mm -hmm. where we're introducing new perspectives without actually challenging the central narrative effectively, mm -hmm. right? So, 
you know, you'll be, you might do a unit on uh, the Wampanoag, which is Quanto's tribe, right? And so, oh, Thanksgiving is still happening, but there were Native Americans there, and it's what they thought, as opposed to actually challenging uh, the, the underlying narrative, right? So that, that mm-hmm. I think that still remains, still work to be done. But this this is kind of across U.S. history, right? I mean, we still tell the, the American Revolution with the same narrative. We just mentioned that Crispus Attucks was there now. Look, we put a black man there. <laughs> we did it, right? I don't think we're doing any better with Native American history. Wait, wait. <laughs> when you said the Crispus Attucks thing, so it's still like the same revolution story, but then the teacher goes, Fun fact, <laughs> colored guy. He, he kind of started it. Who, who has a chick it. named Phyllis Wheatley, and we'll read some of her stuff. And I'm also confused by it, but it's fine. We... <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you are you are a parent of. Are your kids in primary school? Yeah, I've got one in sixth, and I've got one uh, in uh, third. So do the teachers hate you because you're like, honey, this no. <laughs> I can't. No. I can't with a good conscience. I can't. I I try to support. I try to support by supplementing. That's kind of how I see it. I mean, I, you know, I I'd rather have um, I'd rather have public schools that are trying to do the right thing, sort of half-assing it, right, mm-hmm. um, than nothing, right? Because I'm in part of the country where school boards are still being threatened by crazy people. <laughs> um, so I'd rather have a sort of a, a weird California white progressive, you know, in the classroom than a fascist. So I just kind of support the progressives the best I can. Oof. That's kind of the Oof. cynicism where I am right now, but you know. Oof. Oof. We are going to get into some of that in the champagne room. Let's do it. One of the things that we have is a progressive white female rapper that I think did I did you watch that one video Tucson? No, I didn't watch that one. Oh my God, there's so much, there's so much fun for us in the champagne room, but that's later. Tucson, you have a question for for Mr. Graham, Dr. Graham. Dr. Graham. One second. Here, I'll read it since you're you're moving too slow. It's number one. Two. Two. Okay. Um, I read Columbus's diary in high school. Uh, we were promised a more nuanced and positive look at the man. I remember him not doing anything to stop his men's savagery and lamenting over the effect of his trips to the Caribbean, which is not exactly a positive portrayal of him. What what else can you tell us about how he dealt with the effects he set into motion on the indigenous peoples? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. Part of Columbus's legacy is the fact that there's a lot at stake, uh, mm-hmm. even in how his contemporaries see him, uh, because Ferdinand and Isabella give him like crazy legal rights uh, in the New World if he actually managed to pull this off, uh, finding Asia, right? So he gets these cra- crazy rights. So because of that, he becomes a very arrogant, uh, not only towards Native Americans and the Caribbeans, but he also becomes incredibly arrogant towards the Spaniards under his governorship. And because he also has so much power all of a sudden in the court, there's a lot of intrigue at every level trying to also demonize the man. So you have people trying to demonize him and get him sent back in chains. And he basically gives them all 
the evidence justification they would need. He's he's a terribly violent, arrogant man uh, to everyone under his power. He's just he's not a great dude, right? And and there's more than a few people willing to help destroy him to take some of his power and prestige at the court. Wow. Why why do you think so so you're saying that um a big reason for this is because you, you know he he they had to protect kind of their their legacy but here we are how many hundreds of years later. Yeah. You know why still do we and I know we there's isn't it called Indigenous Peoples Day now? I, I don't think it is. Anymore. Yeah, Biden passed that I think last year, two years ago. Two and years is it still ago. a federal holiday? Banks are yeah. closed and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, are we allowed to look at him now as a flawed individual? Well, I, I, th- I think we have to, right? Because um, not just because of who he is as a person, right? But what his legacy is used to justify, right? So we're talking about a guy who never once. Uh, stepped foot on mainland North America, and yet his name is enshrined not only in the capital, uh, but in a bunch of other cities and places and statues around the nation. Uh, it's because, not just the way he did, it's because of what he can stand for. Right? He can represent a certain narrative uh, embedded in the doctrine of discovery, right? This That mm-hmm. superior Europeans found a land that was either empty or largely empty and made it worth something, right? That they brought technology, they brought civilization, they brought history. And then if that's what he did, then the inevitable legacy of Columbus is the United States, right? We are the latest, greatest chapter of Western civilization. We are the the obvious um, fated end of, of the story that he begins. Uh, and so because of that, I think we have to be especially brutally honest about him, uh, because it's not just about whether this one man should be vilified or praised. It's about whether an entire project, um, a very dangerous project, can be toppled or not, if that makes sense. Well, then how do we begin to decouple that narrative? Because it it seems like it's just so ingrained in, like you said, K through 12 education. We're starting to add little nuances to the narrative. Sure. How do you even begin especially when you have people on school boards who also grew up with the same narrative, who probably also have like a, a vested interest mm-hmm. in their own national identity. Um, there was a huge pushback from Italian people to, to not get rid of certain yeah. streets. We have you know, Columbus streets and places like San Francisco. Yeah. So, you know, how do we even break through that without people feeling as if it's an attack uh, on their heritage, if you will? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, right? It's a very pragmatic one in the end, uh, because in a general sense, the real problem is that bad history meets psychological and emotional needs that good history can't, mm-hmm. right? So head up, one one, good history versus bad history, good history is pretty much always going to lose uh, in sort of the popular mind. And so I think what we have to do is probably think in terms of sort of a, of a back door, right? Uh, if you try to full frontal assault Columbus, people are either going to agree or disagree just how they're already predisposed to do so. But what you can do is you can talk about um, how people, how Europeans that come over to the new world, how they cannot survive without Native American assistance, 
um, that their technology and their culture, these things aren't enough to actually create, to recreate Europe. They can't do it. We can talk about the incredible diversity of, of native culture in the new world at the time. We can talk even, we can even do little shifts like point out that one fifth of the world's population at the time lived in North and South America. And what does that do for the discovery narrative? And so I think, uh, I think pragmatically we just have to sort of challenge and chip away as opposed to a frontal assault. At least that's where I've been successful. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean that, I don't like that, right? Because I'd rather just deal with the bullshit and be done. <laughs> but that doesn't work. Um, and so, yeah, I think you have to find sort of, you have to find ways to sort of challenge the uh, the underpinnings of the narrative of, of discovery and savagery and, and religion and all these other things that kind of make this story seem noble uh, until you realize that with, after the arrival of Columbus within 100 years, 90% of the new world population is dead, not just from disease, mm -hmm. but from warfare, from slavery, from displacement, from forced relocation. Uh, and if we can tell that sort of story, then I think it, it makes the Columbus narrative untenable. Now, what do you say to people that, and then this is kind of one of those Prager U narratives, since we were joking about that earlier, sure. where they say that the native people were kind of inherently savage. You have movies mm -hmm. like Apocalypto, um, sure. show human sacrifice and it's like well look these people were savages that were if not being cannibals they were definitely um, killing each other it's not like they were all sitting there kumbaya and then uh, a bunch of Europeans arrived sure um, so what do you say to that narrative so there's, there's a couple different things you can say there right one you can say is stop watching Prager U uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's just first like there's, there's a couple of things, right? So, so there are um, at the time of the of the encounter between Europeans and the and indigenous peoples in the New World, there's there's literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of different societies. So you can't say like the Aztecs uh, and their sacrificial system are a stand-in, right, for mm -hmm. all of North and South America. It doesn't work. It's lazy and it's quite frankly sort of racist. Um, you can then ask them if they can describe anything about medieval <laughs> European society mm -hmm. uh, at all, if they can explain why um, life expectancies are actually better in the new world. Um, and then you can do things, and I'm, I hesitate to do this, right, because you could do things that say like that Tenochtitlan, the Aztec capital is actually like larger than Paris or Madrid or London at the time. And I, but I hesitate to do that because then what it does is it kind of concedes a certain definition of civilization, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think ultimately is helpful uh, in in the end. Um, and then finally, you know, what you can do is, is sort of challenge them to think in terms of what would an unmolested uh, indigenous civilization or an unmolested West African civilization what would they accomplish mm. by the 21st century? if not disrupted and in times destroyed by European interference, right? Because part of this is sort of this unspoken counterfactual that 1492 was as advanced as, advanced as Native Americans were ever going to get. And so you have two <laughs> choices, living in 1492 Native American 
or 2023 United States? Which one is better? Admit you'd rather live in 2023 United States. And yeah, I would. I like indoor plumbing and pizza. So I am all about it. But we never asked the question, what would it mean to live in 2023 North America or 2023 West Africa? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm. I'm being incoherent. I'm on. A, I'm on some medication. I'm being real honest. With you. Like, <laughs> no, no. I no, feel this... like this is very eloquent, and I'm going to tell this story a certain way. My narrative of this uh, live <laughs> performance will be quite flattering. <laughs> Tucson, would you like to add anything to that? Well, I wanted to kind of talk more about the the horrors, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, as is the title of the show, what can you tell us about any enslavement and terrorizing of indigenous people, the forced conversion of native peoples to Christianity, and the introduction of a host of new diseases? And I also think that really goes with the last question as well, too, because that's that's one of the things that I I see in right wing circles is like the horrors of society, of native society before mm-hmm. European intervention. So yeah, I'd love that. Riff. All right, let's see. All the fun topics in one question, man. This is. Yeah. <laughs> we don't uh, want to fetishize the horrors or anything, but the no, story just sure. needs no. to be told, you know. Yeah, and I think I think it's very valuable to ask, and right, I think there's actually valuable value in trying to understand the mindset that can justify that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that. That's why I think we learned the lessons from history is not just recounting the horrors of the past, but trying to understand how could a human being look at that and say, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with that. Um, so <laughs> I understand Columbus especially, right? You've got to understand um, <clears throat> the story of the Reconquista back in the Iberian Peninsula, right? So um, <clears throat> by 1492, um, it's not really Spain technically, what would become Spain has mm-hmm. finally kicked out the last Moorish kingdom. They control the peninsula along with uh, Portugal, right? It's 1492. There's soldiers reporting visions of St. James riding on a horse, helping them to destroy Granada and take it over. And so right in the same year that it seems like God has delivered them from the Islamic threat in the Iberian Peninsula, all of a sudden, from their perspective, God gives them an entire new world to explore, to conquer and to convert. And in fact, a lot of uh, Spanish Franciscans conclude this is actually the end of history, right? The, in a positive sense, right? Ah, these are the last peoples, we convert them, it's over, Jesus comes back, we did it, we kicked ass. So they go uh, mm-hmm. and, and <clears throat> basically show up, and, and it's almost comical if it wasn't true. You show up and you read a document in Spanish that says, by the way, FYI, you're now Spanish subjects. And they're like, what the hell is that guy saying? Who knows? But now you have the legal precedent of saying, well, you are Spanish subjects. And so to resist is to commit rebellion against the king. And rebellion can be met very, very severely by torture, by enslavement, uh, by really anything, right? Uh, and the king owns your gold now and that sort of thing. And oh, by the way, uh, this priest is going to have you guys walk into a lake, dip your heads underwater. And now you're Christian. Um, the, the medieval Catholic Church put much more emphasis on the, the efficacy of the church's ceremonies than in the, in the actual individual's response to them. 
So mm. from the church's perspective, these are now baptized Christians. Mm -hmm. So if you do things like enjoy sex too much, right, or whatever, uh, you're now a heretic, right? So now both the crown and the church can, and for the sake of your soul, must punish you. Uh, and so that those political and religious rights uh, undergird in the Spanish sector, at least, where Columbus kind of kicks things off, undergird the, the kind of brutality and justify the enslavement and the rape and all these terrible, terrible things that we see. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the French and the English sector, you have variations upon a theme there. But 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 yeah, so some of you here in, in K through 12, you hear like God, glory, gold. And those are the three reasons they came over. Mm -hmm. It's a little simplistic, but not that much. What do you think about guns, germs and steel? I I think there's a kernel, a helpful kernel there. I appreciate what the book tries to accomplish, and it's trying to show that racial, inherent racial or cultural diversity or superiority aren't what explain the victory of Europe. I still think it ends up being too simplistic and deterministic in the end. So I appreciate the effort. I think there's better stuff out there. There's like 500 pages to say that. Yeah, well, I mean, you got to cover guns, germs, and steel, Jason. You can't. You <laughs> I mean, if it was just guns, you know, you just do the Second Amendment and you'd be done. But I mean, that that's a book that for a lot of people, I should say, I don't know how many people read all. I think it is like 500 pages. It's, um, it's big. More people probably watched the little documentary series on it than sure. actually okay. watched it. and. I feel very comfortable saying I'm sure more people watched it passively in the background while they did other things um, and kind like of got enjoying their, sex too much. Exactly. They're being heretics. <laughs> you know. First against um, the wall. That's the rule. Is that, is that a better narrative than the one if, if you have a kid again, a K through 12 kid that's getting this, the, the Columbus discovery narrative, and then they watch the guns, germs and steel documentary. Is that better or is it just a little bit more of the same thing? Hmm. It's better. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to, I mean, the, to get all the kinds of things in the chat going, I would say Guns, Rims, and Steel is better than the, the nationalistic origin story in the same way that 1619 is better than 1776 Project. But it doesn't mean I would endorse 1619 fully either. Ooh. Just, just get people stirred up for the champagne room later. Ooh. <laughs> that is... For a long time, we wouldn't mention 1619 on the show for fear of it bringing back the... Uh... That person who shall remain nameless. That's right. That's I'm just, just trying to get Pascal to jump on as a guest. <laughs> trying to lure him out of the woodwork. He's at a, he's at a disco in Florida right now. Listen, <laughs> man. Jack, 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 Jack. Talk about climbing exchange right there. <laughs> at a Haitian restaurant eating patties. Uh, did you watch Guns, Germs, and Steel, Tucson? I, I did, did watch it. What did you think? Um, I concur with uh, <laughs> Dr. Graham. I like the uh, phrase "helpful kernel." That mm -hmm. is that came across to me, but um, it, it it was very focused on the author, and he took things very personally. He cried in it. It was like, 
well, I don't really need that. <laughs> I don't really need that. That doesn't, you know, necessarily do anything for me. He cried about that. Bring out the power of white tears to bring change. Exactly. He Tell cried. Hey, hey, you've never seen a manager get fired at a Starbucks, then. <laughs> You've never seen you. How many school board meetings have you not gone to? That's the better question. <laughs> I can't remember most of them. Probably trauma and blackouts. Oh yeah, because there's some white tears in the school. And that's when my daughter learned the gay agenda. That's right. Okay. Now she's listening to. They they taught her about Homo sapiens in science class. <laughs> <laughs> What is this monkey business? Trying to tell me That's I was right. a homo sapien. His dad right. is a homo sapien. Hell is going on. What are you teaching these kids at this school? That monkey fell out of a tree. They are they up. monkeys? Is that how it works? <laughs> I watched the History Channel. I understand Hitler. That's right. <laughs> I understand Hitler. <laughs> All of history is either Hitler or aliens. There's really nothing yes. else that yes. drives human history. Yes. Yes. Ancient and aliens or modern assholes. Aliens. Groups. That's all you need to know. Yeah. And anything else you do. Yeah, I, I don't know why you're talking. Columbus, just leave him alone. I like salami. <laughs> <laughs> it does. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, 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 please. It does make me sad, the Italian attachment to Columbus. I didn't know they cared. I'm like, you guys got the Godfather. Well, <laughs> well the reason they care dates back to the 19th century, right, where um, there were good and bad types of white, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the Irish take a while to become white, so the Italians, so the Jewish people, so do the Polish people, right? It takes a while. Uh, and so Columbus, because he's so central to this narrative of American nationalism, which at the time, at the time, is tied to white supremacy, uh, they see that's kind of their ticket, right? Oh, you guys like Columbus? Did you know he is Italian? So you're welcome, first of all. Second of all, can we vote and work here? <laughs> so, <laughs> can we vote? You know what? Columbus, uh, he was... Yeah. Uh, do you think we're going to get hate mail from the Italian contingent, uh, Tucson? The Anti-Defamation League? Yes. <laughs> you get a knock on my door. Like, Is that Luca Brasi? <laughs> hey, you the mooly over there making the Italian jokes. They <laughs> All of a sudden, the intro is sha-na-na. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Eight old people got that joke. That's okay. If you say so. <laughs> he didn't say cool people. He said old people. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> all the old people that all the old podcast. People, all the old people just like fell out. <laughs> and their kids are like, what's, what, what's so funny? Yeah, don't try to show your kids shot. I know they just won't get it. Um, John, what do you think is the biggest misconception about Columbus? Hmm. Well, uh, I think one of the big ones right off the bat 
is it's still pretty popular to to think that Columbus believed the world was round mm -hmm. and everyone else thought it was flat. And that's why um, he didn't, you know, that's why no one would support him because they were wrong. I even had a textbook I used at a previous college uh, where it said he had, that Columbus had the courage to believe the experts were wrong, which if that doesn't make you an American. Problem is that Columbus is is a pretty decent sailor from all accounts, but he's a terrible cartographer. What he doesn't realize is that he is literally thousands and thousands and thousands of miles off in his estimations of the world circumference. So every, no one, no other court will pay him because all their experts are like, we don't have ships that could possibly make this journey, and they're right, right? Mm -hmm. Columbus should have died at sea, mm -hmm. but he happened to crash land in the in the Caribbean. Uh, and so the reason that Ferdinand and Isabella do support him is not because they're like more forward thinking. It's because they're quite frankly desperate. They finally have a kingdom. They're trying to catch up with other European powers at the time. And Columbus represents really a low risk, high reward situation. If he happens to be right, then you've got a path to the Indies, right, to Asia that Portugal doesn't know about. Uh, and if he's wrong, you're out three ships and like 100 convicts, right? So what are you going to do? Gotta break a few eggs to make a conquest. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so that one, I still have a surprising amount of students in my classes, even in college, who were like, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm like, yeah. No, the whole world wasn't stupid except Columbus. That's not how any of this works. What if it was? How smug was he then? Was he even more <laughs> smug than you tried to say at the beginning of the show? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, he think it's flat. <laughs> From what we can tell, I mean, it's hard to know for sure. It seems like he dies, never conceding he did not find Asia. Um, and there's some things in those journals where there's, I mean, you could read some things a certain way, but it seems like to the end, he's like, I did it. And mm -hmm. uh, you're welcome. And now I'm going to beat up everybody because I did it. <laughs> 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 Me and my guns think that your gold women look really good. So... Just saying. Oh, wow. I mean, that's kind of every mafia movie I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Is he the first gangster then? Columbus, the first gangster. Is it Columbus import? I kind of think that Genghis Khan is the first gangster, but that's. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. But the Columbus. Well, I see you got there. It'd be a shame something happened to it, you know, things like that. <laughs> Tucson, is that your house? No, it, I'm sorry. That's it's, your TV? No, it's sirens outside. So it is your it's house. It's Americans are come for Tucson. Yeah. <laughs> Tucson, are the Get calls out of the house. Coming, are the calls coming from inside the house? <laughs> it's not my house making the noise. Well, I didn't think your house throws its voice like Michael Winslow from the Police Academy <laughs> movies. I figured it was outside of your house. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Busy we've, had neighborhood. Police, we've had a police academy reference and a Shanana reference. What will be the trifecta <laughs> on this? 
Gen X comedy roundtable. As the podcast goes sort of highbrow, that we're going to lose a lot of listeners. (laughs) (laughs) We'll blame the shirt. Yeah, don't forget your roots, Polo Man. Kowalski says uh, uh, Columbus was 1490s Trump. <laughs> I, I discovered I, it. <laughs> it works on a couple of levels. It does. Um, we did actually have questions prepared for you um, that I will say to Sant actually. Do you want to read question number five? You want me to read it? I'll do five. Oh, you go for it. Okay. Giving thanks and celebrating the harvest and changing seasons are also part of indigenous culture, which was surprising to find, but also logical. What do you think is the biggest misconception about Thanksgiving? Of the first one. Hmm. I, so I think the biggest misconception is really a lie by omission. Hmm. Um, because we kind of end the story with Native Americans and pilgrims sitting around being happy. Um, and then we kind of fade to black. Right. And then it's 2023. And who knows what happened, right? But within a decade, less than a decade, the pilgrims and other Puritans who arrived later are already at war with the, um, with the descendants of Squanto. Right, and, and those who are alive at the first Thanksgiving, um, and do some pretty brutal, ugly, horrible stuff, right? So, so again, it's not that the meal didn't happen, um, but it's that we sort of pause and tell everybody to leave the theater right then instead of going, right? So that allows the story to represent a narrative uh, that it absolutely can't support, right? Uh, and, and related to that, if you know, if you want a story about poor, cold, starving Europeans arriving, only being saved by Native Americans, that's actually the story of Jamestown a couple <laughs> of decades earlier. That we don't memorialize Jamestown. There's no 1607 project, right? Because the pilgrims. <laughs> <laughs> Can we call for more white people to call for the 1607 project? <laughs> like, what I'm do we have to do there. to create the 1607 project? I don't know. Let's get Disney to make a Pocahontas three, and I think that will <laughs> just the cultural capital we need to move forward with this plan. But do you know the Pocahontas are a sanitized story based in religion that has a very neat and convenient place you can pause the film, uh, and I think that's the biggest misconception about it. Off the top of my head. So it's not a potluck. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it, it might have been a potluck in, in some sense. Um, oh, Jesus. But, but but who knows, you know? All the pictures I had to color, yeah, were of a potluck. That's right. Now the real question is: as a young black child, were you an Indian or a pilgrim? Like in life? No, not in life. Like in the dress up in elementary school. Oh, we didn't do plays like that. Um, oh, the only school play I can remember was in the fourth grade, and I was Wild Bill Hickok. Wow. Of course, you grew up. Did you grow up in California, Jason? Yep, I'm a California. Okay, so you so you had the mission Indian narrative bullshit to deal with. You didn't have time for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You had the California missions to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all our all, my kids too. 
Yeah. In Texas, we don't have those kind of problems, so it's fine. <laughs> You're a cowboy. We what? just have Alamo, the greatest story of freedom <laughs> the world has ever known. I lost or my red else John Wayne wouldn't be in it. So I lost I my think red beanie at the Alamo. I hate the Alamo. Prairie Fire Kowalski from Nebraska says... The 1607 project is coming. I'll talk to the whites. <laughs> the whites. If I I'm not mistaken, Kowalski lives in Nebraska, and yeah. that's where whites come from, as far as I'm concerned. Nebraska. Whites are bred there. They're bred very large in Nebraska. There's a small sliver of it where they let a few Negroes in. They eat corn. I know but that. They Feed them some it. corn. They eat a lot of stuff. Nebraska. Isn't Nebraska I, a Native American word? Is I it? So. Yeah, yeah, I think the, so. I the first college football Saturday I've ever experienced, like in a college football town, was in Lincoln, Nebraska, when Dominic and Sue was still playing for the Cornhuskers. That was the most insane Saturday I've ever seen. That was a large, angry man. <laughs> well, I'm not going to lie. If he played hockey, he would have had about a two game career. Someone. <laughs> I mean, he totally was totally on topic, but you know, very friendly around town. Well, good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, Prester John asked Tucson who exterminated Jason's uh, upper buttons. <laughs> These are the questions. I believe the answer is global capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> but we could do a poll in the champagne room, see what people think. It's you know you know again when I saw in Dominic first of all people look bigger in pads he's a large cat but you know he didn't sure. look as big as I thought really friendly really friendly I was kind of shocked um, President Joe Biden formally recognized Indigenous Peoples Day as a national holiday in 2021 what do you think efforts to reclaim Columbus Day by replacing it with uh, what do you think of efforts I'm so sorry. Uh, to reclaim Columbus Day by replacing it with indigenous indigenous people's day. (laughs) Indigenous people's day. Is this a move in the right direction for us? Or, you know, what does it mean to change a holiday's name? I know a lot of people are kind of married to holidays, much like people are married to sports teams, right? You know, there's people that will never call the Washington commanders the commanders. The, the Cleveland Guardians, the Guardians. Are people married to holidays like that as well? Yeah, so I'm trying to think of a good a good metaphor. So to me, changing it, changing Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day is like pouring baking soda on a grease fire. Like that's great. They still have to make dinner. Right. And I think that's really where it breaks down because it just it replaces sort of the it can replace the sort of uh, generic you know vicious savage with sort of generic noble savage right it erases mm-hmm. indigenous people by placing them all in one huge lumped category it's like us saying let's celebrate Eurasian People Day you're like wow who the hell are we celebrating right yeah. so <laughs> it creates opportunities for tribal nations to do local education. It provides opportunities for those who are interested to learn about uh, about local and regional indigenous history. So in that sense, it can be helpful. 
but I do, I, I'm going to stand by my weird metaphor about putting big concern on grease fire. It's like you haven't accomplished anything. You just kept the kitchen from burning down. You haven't actually done anything productive yet. Mm-hmm. And so I think, um, yeah, it provides opportunities that can be used well. But knowing the laziness of of white allies um, may not accomplish as much as we hope. Now, do you know anything about Canadian Thanksgiving? I don't know much about it other than it, it sort of seems to fill the same generic um meaning right Mm uh as american thanksgiving and they're they're i mean they both come out of that sort of european harvest festival right Mm -hmm. tradition Mm uh and then they think they kind of intermix a little bit especially as um as british loyalists flee to canada during the revolution right kind of brings those traditions with them um but as far as like specifics of that holiday versus the u.s version i don't know a whole lot all i know is that it happened first is that right? Yeah. I mean, allegedly, I don't know. I wasn't there. Pascal was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I don't have a Bill and Ted time machine to take me back to, you know, that moment. Um, Pascal's an Bill older gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad. You always say Pascal, you're the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> You know what's sad? He called me this morning and goes, hey, need me on the show today? I was like, oh, no, you're fine. I'm just going to talk shit about you while you're not watching. <laughs> don't worry. You don't watch these episodes. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, <laughs> now when he hosts when I'm gone, he's just going to rip me apart. Um, and it'll be fair. It'll be fair. fair. Uh, John, you're in academia. How do you feel? We said this a little bit earlier. I think off air. Sure. How do you feel about land acknowledgments? Yeah, so I think I think land acknowledgments, in a similar way, can provide opportunities. Right, I think for opportunities um, to learn local and regional history, they can provide opportunities for universities that are, especially land grant universities, to work with local tribal nations. Mm. Um, but they can also just be entirely performative, right? A little hand-wringing, saying we're sad and we're done. Where it's done well, uh, it's followed up by real action, right? I've actually seen some local universities, on land-grant universities, do things like invite or incorporate, rather, indigenous knowledge into, like, you know, science departments. Ooh. Um, provide scholarships, right, for indigenous students, <clears throat> things like that, right? So... Where, where I see action to rectify a wrong that goes beyond hand-wringing, I think there's value there. But if I'm just putting in my email signature, oh, by the way, these tribal nations used to live here, and now they don't, and we're really sad about it. Anyway, let's talk about Columbus. <laughs> right? I don't know. Right? I mean, this this is the problem, right? Is Indigenous Peoples Day, land grant, these all can be meaninglessly performative. Or they can provide opportunities for really meaningful conversation, education, and even change. It just depends on how they're used, I guess. I mean, I feel like they're used to kind of redress whatever sort of harm you want to redress by acknowledging, especially in Canada. There's so much acknowledging in Canada. Yes, they're very sorry about the past. They love saying sorry. What did you say? Australia, too. 
those are places that learn the whole like sorry thing and the world sees that and they go man only if america did that it's like so what give a damn about a sorry like if you ever spent time in canada if you ever spent time in places like australia where the native populations fill the prisons Uh super high unemployment like we always talk about disproportionate numbers with black people. You never hear people talk about disproportionate numbers with natives because those numbers are astronomical when it yeah, comes to incarceration, police violence, mm-hmm. spousal abuse, mm-hmm. poverty, trafficking, right? Ooh, ooh. Mm-hmm. There was a whole hashtag that people cared about for five minutes and acted like it went away and acted like the hashtag was new. When I was working in North Dakota, we weren't hashtagging anything, but there were so many articles in the local paper about missing young children. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about a population nobody cares about? There's one, and you can acknowledge that you don't care about them, I feel like, with a, with a, a land acknowledgement. Yeah, it also, I mean, it also can be used to freeze Native American peoples in the past, right? We're Oof. sorry about people who existed and damn, it's just what happened to them, right? Um, but it freezes them in the past, culturally, historically. I mean, that, right, this, I mean, this was kind of the, one of the reasons that the book Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee isn't that popular among indigenous activists is because it's just this kind of this, this sorry tale of tragedy that ends in 1890. And they're like, we're still here. Like, <laughs> if you really were moved to help a Native American, great news. Still, <laughs> and might I add, Jason, mm-hmm. I'm sorry about slavery. What <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to say it here publicly, I want to take that risk. Uh, so. You're very brave. Very brave. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate you telling me that. I need to hear that. You're very brave. That That's what you need. You need to do a land acknowledgement and have a native person yeah. put their arm on your shoulder and say you're very brave. That's right. And then you need to say that they're the natural stewards of the land. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then they go, but I that's, don't know how to garden. And you're like, it's okay. It's just in your blood. It's Yeah, it's fine. Your people have been doing this for a long time. My people never wore this. I, I saw on a football game. I know you did. Yeah. <laughs> Just because you've lost your culture. I mean, I don't know what it is. Well, let me ask you about the natural stewards of the land. Uh-oh, because she's going there. That's a yeah. popular um, thing to say in environmentalism. But it's hard to deny that some of the agricultural practices are just better mm-hmm. than what we're doing now. I guess. But do, but do you think all native people are the natural stewards of the land? I guess natural stewards of the land is where it goes a little too far. That's where I get offended by it, because then it becomes like this spiritual thing that every time a native person speaks, then like magic's supposed to come out of their mouth. I mean, just say children of the forest and be done with it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but the, like you, you get, that's the same thing with like black people speak with such a magical rhythm. It's like like Brian Gumble. <laughs> we just got rhythm in our blood. Like, where? You ever seen black people like that? I have. Like flavor flavor, that natural. Yeah. That natural <laughs> so, I mean, what I would say is that in general, I mean, there's always been exceptions. In general, uh, Native American cultures tended to see themselves as part of the natural order. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, they found value in experimenting and finding ways 
to live well with the natural resources around them. Um, but I mean, they're always successful, right? I mean, we could look at like, you know, buffalo kills, right? Driving mm. hundreds of animals off a cliff isn't mm. being one with nature. But for the most part, they found equilibrium uh, in many places prior to contact where it worked. Other places it doesn't, right? The Southwest is in horrible decline because they try to bring irrigation to the region and it works for a while until drought just kind of kills the whole project. I think the main distinction to make is that um, the Europeans and their layered descendants who are coming over here, right, they see um, nature as something to exercise dominion over, to conquer, right, to sort of impose one's will on, to exploit. And you don't see a lot of those concepts in Native American use of the land. They're still adapting the land. They're still changing the land. They're still cultivating crops. They're still doing all those things. But it's not with this sense of divine stewardship that leads to dominion it's more of a divine stewardship that leads to responsibility to maintain order of which you are part right uh so in that sense there's a there's a market it's in very broad terms there's a marked difference between sort of western and native understandings of nature and how humanity fits in with that even if we want to reject the sort of sitting around in a circle like keebler elves or something right and living in trees <laughs> Right, there still is something worth pointing out that explains why um, the last several hundred years have been so utterly destructive to the environment, whereas the thousands before that weren't. Does that answer your question, Tucson? Yes, and that was very well said. Also, I concur. <laughs> do you, doctor, do you concur? I do concur. <laughs> John, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are coming up on the hour. Uh, we're trying to be a little more responsible here at This Is Revolution and start shows on time mm -hmm. and not start on rock star time, as Tucson calls it. <laughs> or Axl Rose time, as she calls it. <laughs> and we will be, <clears throat> excuse me, taking this conversation to the champagne room. Uh, we will be doing some of our usual champagne room shenanigans where I have found several videos that I need to sign and John will be joining us. And as you've seen, John is equally as sharp and ridiculous. There's definitely some fun relationship videos. Um, I, <laughs> I also found, um, some videos of white people cooking well right because we watched so many videos of bad cooking so i had to show videos of, of white people not sucking when they cook john is white and he cooks that's true. I can push my web buttons with the best. <laughs> there is no time I cannot set with my white will. Someone says, test John Graham's allyship, Jason. First of all, are you a white ally game? Took a long time to prepare. It did. <laughs> and I feel like it's only funny with Doug Lane because he's just so white. So I'd like to point out, I apologize for slavery, and I don't appreciate being attacked and persecuted uh, <laughs> at this point. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting hurt, personally. That was, not point, that was not a point in my apology. 
You will so. look. We're gonna start this whole video thing off in the champagne room with a bunch of your people, some white women talking about white men, and I need you guys to explain. Hey, don't knock honky love till you've tried it. <laughs> Hell yeah, vanilla love is good, buddy. It's. <laughs> <laughs> Born Center says, "Are you a spicy white, John? <laughs> Does that mean the Italian?" <laughs> well, I have family from Louisiana, so I don't know if that that qualifies me as being spicy or not. But that might you might be spicy white. Okay, I will. I will do my. I always do my best to be edgy and uh, and relevant. White people from Louisiana crazy. is what changed my entire view of the world. <laughs> Telling you, white, a good, white a good people, cup of gumbo could heal the world. I watched white people eat a watermelon. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you guys really loved it. And they were looking at me like I was crazy. I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> if if I would have had a camera phone, that video would have went viral. See those videos they give a fruit bat, like a piece of watermelon? That's kind of I imagine it was like it was like you know it's hot it's it was a hot just disgusting southern summer and there's this massive watermelon and there was a break the guys got to come down to the galley and I, of course i cooked out there and the and the head chef at the time said jason cut up that watermelon right now and i was like why <laughs> he's like it's it's hot and they're going to come down here i was like but they have a little salad bar they'll be fine and he's like no Cut it up now, and it was like stuck like, stat. It was like one of those medical shows. <laughs> What's going on? Where's the watermelon? <laughs> quickly, quickly! It's like it like The Walking Dead trying to avoid zombies or something. So I, so I cut this water. I cut this watermelon up, and he goes, "Just watch." <laughs> and I put it out, and they run after it like dogs to a bone. You have a white bird feeder, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolo bees, hummingbirds coming in. Aaron I Jason. didn't know. I didn't. Because, I again, I'm from California. I don't like watermelon because whenever I would eat it, people <laughs> it's like the Dave Chappelle thing where he doesn't want to take the fried chicken on the plane. <laughs> Like, that's how I have felt about watermelon my whole life. And then I lived with the white family for a while. They loved watermelon. They would be like, you sure you don't want to eat any? And I was like, this is kind of like a scene from Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> or is it white allyship? That's the other possibility. <laughs> they, just, they just really like like white people like watermelon and people like black people are like i was like mm, i can take you to some places and these white people that i lived with were in california native californians they fucked watermelon i'm it's hot right now in the bay area if i go to their house right now i should do an instagram live from their house they're eating a watermelon you make it sound like they eat with their feet <laughs> they do not. They're very normal. Like these very super normal. country people. No, they're not. They're not country at all. They're just regular cats <laughs> that, you know, let me stay in their house and my kids for a very long time. <laughs> 
<laughs> Important center says Jason gonna let the whites bully him in the deep. <laughs> Like Tucson, you've been black for a while, right? Twenty-eight years. Twenty-eight alleged years. Twenty-eight alleged years. <laughs> Have you ever had a watermelon and you're around? Because you went to the that fancy white high school. Have you ever? <laughs> it was multiracial. That's what all people say that went to white high schools. No. You... <laughs> yeah, I had two black students in my high school. Also, it was definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tucson, you were the diversity hire. That's right. No. It was you. Look, I watched Fame. It was you and a bunch of dancing Puerto Ricans. I knew what was going on at the high school. Dancing Puerto Ricans. When you were at the dance in high school and you pulled out a watermelon, did you feel like people were looking at you different? I do not like watermelon. <laughs> Conveniently. Inconveniently, I don't like watermelon. Um, I I told my sister that, and she's like, "You don't like watermelon? That's because you be eating the green part." And I'm like, <laughs> "No, I don't eat the green part." <laughs> Prairie Fire says watermelon and mustard advance white people food. I'm that is, as we would say in the South, some Yankee bullshit. <laughs> I don't fall in line with a lot of those tropes that white on white hate that you people have, but tater tot hot dish, mustard on a watermelon, sugar in your grits, mm. it's unacceptable for me. John Graham, you are a southerner. Sugar in your grits. No. Would you I'm slap the bowl out of somebody's hand? First of all, I'm a good person, so <laughs> no. The only thing you need in this for southern food is cream gravy. If cream gravy can't salvage it, it can't be salvaged. That's <laughs> not that sugar and mustard nonsense. Gravy or nothing. There's another thing, Tucson, about the South. There's different kinds of white people that like different kinds of gravy. And these dudes, these boys took me aside one day and was like, look here, check this out. <laughs> They're like, we from Mississippi. And if we don't got white gravy out there, we're really not going to eat nothing. White gravy. You're going to leave in two weeks. Them other boys coming. They like that brown gravy. We need that white gravy. I was like, okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Got you covered. Yeah, I got that. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Brown gravy is carpetbagger gravy. We don't. Carpet bagger gravy. <laughs> Sitting said people so white. <laughs> white. <laughs> the last thing I'll say about those Mississippi dudes. Um, here's a football story for you, John. Steve McNair died while I was in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh. Do you remember that? And he's from Mississippi. And those dudes were in tears over Steve yeah. McNair. And I just yelled out, but what about Brett Favre? Like trying to be a dick. What about Brett Favre? <laughs> nice. They hated him. Hated Brett Favre. And this is, of course, way before the whole scandal with him you know, taking <laughs> off. Before the they had justifiable reason. Yeah. Oh, they said he was a piece of shit. They loved Steve McNair. They said Steve McNair was like the nicest guy. Like, yeah, that like was a, 
That was That's a horrible crazy. tragedy for the sport and for the world. Losing him like that. <laughs> choosing not, a not gra- hard to be clear. <laughs> choosing a gravy is ethno national. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to go to the champagne room. I want to know, what kind of gravy do you people like? Leave it in the comments. There's a lot of Canadians that watch this show. Your people's Thanksgiving is coming, or whatever you want to call it. Do you celebrate any – let's let's end with this question. Do you celebrate any sort of Thanksgiving-like holiday, John, at your uh, home? Yeah. Uh, ironically, as, as, a, as a Texan – uh, I am obligated to culturally appropriate Mexican food for Thanksgiving. So <laughs> we we tend to have fajitas as some sort of misguided way of showing I'm not part of the system by just imperializing a different part of the system. Turkey so that's kind of what we do. Gross-ass turkey quesadilla. <laughs> <laughs> turkey quesadilla. Oh, my gosh. No, that's that's wrong. That's <laughs> there's, there's nothing good about that. Tucson. Do you celebrate Thanksgiving? I do not, but I would like to make a statement about Thanksgiving. Ooh, you're going to, you know what? Let's give you the floor here, Miss Thang. Okay. As a, ooh, I'm big. As a vegetarian, I would like to say that I, I hear complaints about turkey being too dry and not cool and not something that people want to eat for Thanksgiving. Maybe they'll have like a bite or here or there. If you don't like turkey, don't have the turkey. It's really just that simple, people. Let the turkey live. Don't have the turkey. <laughs> if you don't like it. You uh, Do you eat stuffing? No. Do you eat macaroni and cheese? I do eat macaroni and cheese. Is it gross-ass vegan cheese? No. You can eat regular cheese? I'll eat regular cheese. I'll break kayfabe. For for some some real regular cheese, <laughs> real cheese. Will you have the same episode that I had recently with the carrot and prune salad? Oh my gosh! No, I will not. I can handle my digestive system pretty well at this point as a vegetarian. <laughs> I believe you people are all full of shit because I was trying to be like you and eat this salad and it destroyed me. So. Turkey is green, the way. Green bean casserole and cornbread casserole. I don't even need turkey. If I have those two things, I'm set. Look at that. What about macaroni and cheese? Yeah, I'll eat it. I'm just saying, you know, green bean casserole mm-hmm. and cornbread casserole. And unfortunately, tragically. You said cornbread bean, casserole. We said cornbread yeah. dressing, but it's the same thing, right? Uh, no, no, no. The cornbread casserole is a little bit different. Okay. Uh, it's made by the best version is made by Paula Dean. Do that what you will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, still, it's still pretty good. Um, my, yeah, my grandma so, loved my grandma used to love Paula Dean and she hated Rachel yeah. Ray. My grandma used to hate Rachel Ray. I was like, why do you hate this woman so much? She goes, She don't never wash her vegetables. <laughs> Just nasty. <laughs> I assume they are washed first. She could just be nasty. I would believe it about Rachel Ray. But yeah, my grandma used to love Paula Dean. And uh, she died. Uh, before the whole scandal came out, because that would have been a lot for her to take in. I'm sure. It was a lot for me to take in. Paula Dean. Because that's that's what we would do, especially when she got sick and she was kind of bedridden. I'd I'd sit there and watch Paula Dean with her. Aww. 
So when I had to hear that story about Paula Dangerous. <laughs> that sucks. She did the most. <laughs> like, who thinks that way? Plantation Paula. I've been around some real deal racist pieces of shit. I've been around clan people that couldn't think to do that. You were on another level of comic book villain when that's how you think. This is a good idea. Mm. I'd like to apologize for Paula Dean. It's <laughs> <laughs> very brave of you. <laughs> well, thank you guys. The link is already up for the champagne room. Uh, John, we're going to send you that link. Email you is the best way. Perfect. Email you the link. We'll be there. Give us about 10 minutes and we'll be there. And we are out. <laughs>